Hello, everyone. I We are so fortunate today. We have Fran Siegel, the Executive Director of U.S. Impact Investing Alliance, and Jen Collins, a fellow in residence at the Beck Center at Georgetown. Here we're talking about opportunity zones, which is probably a, you know, a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in U.S. communities at a local level, especially troubled communities. And to make that work, Fran and Jen have some great insights, so stick around. You do not want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Fran, Jen, welcome to the show. Great Thank to meet you, Devin. Hey, we're thrilled to have both of you. I, I, I really am excited about this. Uh, I was confessing to you earlier that uh, I, I'm a little late to the Opportunity Zone party. This is an important party, and uh, I'm glad to be invited, uh, glad to be a part of the discussion, and I'm so grateful that you two would take the time to uh, share some insights with me. Fran, perhaps we could start with you. I wonder if you'd just take a minute and help us understand um, the, the most basic Opportunity Zones 101. Go back to a time, picture yourself not understanding what they are and help us just lay a foundation. Sure, happy to, Devin. Uh, so Opportunity Zones is, in a nutshell, is the capital gains incentive to drive long-term patient capital into 8,700 distressed census tracts located in all 50 states and all the territories. They were selected by the governors and certified by the Treasury Department. And it's important to note that these communities have very much been left behind in the recovery. While the coastal regions uh, recovered nicely, say, in the 2011 to 2015 period, these communities um, have been, as I said, left behind uh, by the recovery. And the legislative intent of Opportunity Zones is really to drive community economic recovery. So just to give you a feel for these zones and the, the folks that live in them, 27% of the 31 million residents in the Opportunity Zones live below the poverty line, which is an extraordinarily high number. A full one-third are unemployed and more than half of these families are rent burdened. Um, the incentive itself um, again, is meant to drive uh, the capital gains portion of appreciated assets um, into uh, uh, investments and in opportunity funds that will in turn invest in projects and operating businesses in opportunity zones. Um, and the incentive at a glance is um, if, you, if you invest in an opportunity fund uh, after five years, the uh, tax burden, the capital gains owed the IRS will decrease by 10%. If the investment is held for seven years, it will decrease by another 5%. So a 15% tax, uh, a capital gains um, tax uh, burden haircut, if you will. And then perhaps the most interesting part of this uh, Opportunity Zones benefit is that there are no new capital gains due um, if the investment is held in an opportunity fund for over 10 years. So folks that want to invest can invest up until 2027. The investments must be exited by 2048. Um, opportunity fund managers must invest 
of their investment proceeds in qualified opportunity zones and businesses. Uh, and 50%, currently 50% of the revenue uh, derived from operating businesses um, must be derived from within the opportunity zone. Perhaps we can touch later on the state of regulation um, that is unfolding with opportunity zone benefit. I would say that this uh, benefit is really in a state of becoming. So um, for those of you that feel like you're new to opportunity zones, I assure you that you're not. There's much more to come and, and, and plenty of opportunity for all to invest. So Jan, I wonder if you would help us um, think through or understand kind of what's going on around the country. Um, the, the Opportunity Zone legislation does not require any uh, sort of social impact measures, job creation, uh, you know, no social justice measures, mm -hmm. nothing of that sort. It simply puts the a geographic, geographic boundary on these investments. What are states and local governments doing? I know uh, recently Boulder, uh, the city of Boulder, Colorado decided to put a moratorium on opportunity zone investing while they figure some stuff out. What, what's going on? I love this question, Devin. Thanks for, for asking it and thanks for having me on your show. Uh, across the country, there is a robust conversation swell around opportunity zones. Uh, this is the, the newest community investment vehicle that has come to be in a couple of decades. Uh, and uh, it's got bipartisan, it was bipartisan support um, getting through the legislation and it's um, got bipartisan appetites now. So it's been a real North Star in the community investment world and we're seeing a conversation swell with a myriad of stakeholders that really supports um, the high level of interest in opportunity zones. So across the country, there's been a lot of education, uh, especially uh, regarding the, uh, with the investor community. Um, like Fran mentioned, the original intention of the legislation was twofold. One, it's to drive positive social outcomes in these areas. And two, is to really incubate and accelerate small businesses and entrepreneurs. When the legislation reached across the finish line, all of that impact requirement, data requirement, and transparency was stripped out of the legislation. So enter the work of the Beck Center and the US Impact Investing Alliance. And what our work in Opportunity Zones is, is to really amplify and, and accelerate the impact voice across the landscape to really support the original intentionality of the legislation. Um, and we're doing that through um, really just uh, educating on uh, ways to drive impact across the landscape. So uh, there are a myriad of ways of, to do it. There are a multitude of stakeholders who are interested in it. The U.S. Impact Investing Alliance and the Beck Center teamed up together and uh, launched uh, an Opportunity Zone Reporting Impact Framework that we, uh, that we launched last month with uh, we were proud to say with over 30 contributors. So that was foundations, it was wealth platforms, it was uh, local community intermediaries, it was local governmental leadership who helped inform uh, the impact framework as the users and stakeholders. And, and it's our hope that that's um, gonna be a widely adopted tool to really get impact across the landscape. Um, and we've had early indications that that is the case. So. Um, 
There are folks who are really doing interesting things across the country. Uh, Opportunity Alabama is, is a really interesting case study in, in amplifying the voice of the, the needs of that state. Uh, Baltimore has an Opportunity Zone coordinator and a gentleman by the name of Ben Siegel. Um, so we're seeing different initiatives and we're seeing the use of our impact tool and framework uh, from both the investor community and the local leadership. Fran, I wonder uh, if you can give us a specific example or two, just so we have some clarity. What would you see as examples of investments that qualify under the law, under the federal law, tax code, for the Opportunity Zone treatment and benefits that you would like to discourage and the sorts of investments you would like to encourage using by, by virtue of applying your metric and uh, thought leadership on this Opportunity Zone issue? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, as, as Jen mentioned, uh, data collection uh, impact outcomes was stripped out of the statutory language. Um, and we're hoping that over the course of the regulatory process that uh, data availability, uh, investment transparency, and impact accountability will be re-imbued uh, into the requirements. Um, and so an example of a, an opportunity fund um, that we're trying to discourage, for example, or one I think that we would agree would be less impactful, would be hypothetically a real estate fund um, that sees the opportunity to raise tax advantage capital in a new way, but is doesn't have experience deploying capital in some of these uh, distressed and underinvested communities. And doesn't see the, the need and the incentive for partnering with community stakeholders in order to deploy capital in a thoughtful way. Um, and so there, especially in the real estate side, we worry a little bit um, to a lot, depending on the actors, um, around gentrification, around displacement as a result of, of opportunity fund investment. And so one of the things we're trying to um, guard against uh, by using and developing in partnership with Beck and many others, this private sector um, standard called the Opportunity Zone Reporting Framework is to encourage fund managers of any type, um, including but not limited to real estate fund managers, um, encourage them to engage in uh, community dialogue, um, assess community needs uh, before investment and during investment and to consider community outcomes actually upon exit uh, so that community stakeholders are really seen as a partner in creating and releasing enduring impact in these communities and not uh, be considered as an afterthought. I would say, a, a, you know, a Potentially good actor could be uh, an affordable housing uh, developer or a venture fund that really sees the opportunity and the assets that um, 
some strong assets that we believe are resident in these communities and work with folks that really understand how to deploy capital in these markets, work with local government, work with community foundations, work with community stakeholders to deliver benefit. We fundamentally believe that community stakeholders uh, and engaging community stakeholders can mitigate investment risk, can drive uh, investment returns, um, and clearly will also drive impact outcomes. So we think that that is a virtuous cycle. And as Jen said, we seek to educate a range of stakeholders, including opportunity fund managers um, on this topic. So Jen, as you think about this tension uh, between a community redevelopment and uh, gentrification, uh, how do you guide uh, a developer, an investor, to be thoughtful about uh, navigating that? Sure, I um, uh, I think that's a that's a, a great and and somewhat complicated question that I would answer with uh, with our guiding principles. So we, when we put together the impact framework, we also penned guiding principles to uh, as as a as a as guiding principles for good acting in this in this space. Um, there are five of them, and they are community engagement is number one. Number two is equity. Number three is transparency. Number four is measurement, and number five is outcomes. So I would, I think it's very important for the investors and the fund managers to begin with impact intentionality, and that can be different. Uh, so some some investors want uh, an education outcome. Some investors want an energy outcome. Some investors are looking at access to healthy foods. Some are doing really interesting uh, developments in affordable housing. And so as, as the US Impact Investing Alliance, as Fran and, and I partnered together in coming up with our impact framework, it was really important for us to get the framework socialized with the stakeholders that we've already talked about. But the three things that we heard loud and clear were, number one, have one framework. Don't have seven that muddy the landscape. Number two, make it simple. And number three, make it flexible so that you can guide investors, mayors, local stakeholders, other resources towards um, uh, any positive social outcomes that they might wanna see in these neighborhoods. Um, so all of these guiding principles are, are critically important. And I would emphasize what Fran just mentioned is that uh, community engagement is is necessary to really understand what the community needs uh, and to unlock the innate value that exists there already. Uh, great. Now, Fran, at the top of our discussion, as you were kind of giving us the overview, you mentioned that there is a cap on the revenue percentage. Did I understand correctly that you're suggesting that 50% of the revenue must come from the ge geography of the opportunity zone? And if so, how do businesses that aren't real estate place-based comply with that or can? It's a, it's a key issue. Um, so the first tranche of proposed regulations came out at the end of October of last year. And there's been a public comment period on uh, a range of topics, um, including 
uh, the data and impact accountability aspects that Jen and I have been talking about today. One of the biggest issues around uh, allowing, making it more uh, kind of permissible to invest in operating businesses within opportunity zones is this revenue threshold of 50% that you point out. So currently in the pro proposed regulation, it says that 50% of the revenue of an operating business needs to be derived from within the zone. So you can imagine that that could be quite limiting to um, you know, any of a range of businesses aside from operating businesses like perhaps Main Street businesses uh, that may or may not be appropriate for opportunity zone capital, which I should have said at the top is equity. It's private equity. It's not debt uh, with, because equity drives capital gains. Um, and so one of the, we, we had a, a period of public comment. Uh, we and Beck wrote public comment letters um, a range of people were public comment letters, and we had a hearing on Valentine's Day of this year. Um, it was a standing room only crowd at the, at the IRS, um, and 23 of us testified uh, on a range of issues, and one of them was this revenue issue, um, indicating strongly to the panel that um, maintaining this 50% would uh, dampen potential investment. I will say that we're starting to hear from some venture capital funds about the idea of creating uh, uh, maybe co-working facilities or accelerators um, and, and, and using that as a real estate investment and then having alongside a venture capital um, fund. And that's kind of a particularly interesting um, application of opportunity funds. But I will say that this 50% revenue threshold will need to be addressed strongly if we hope to see um, money flowing to, uh, to support new business formation, which along with community um, investment incentives, we believe is, is part of the original legislative intent to drive small business as a path, entrepreneurship as a path to economic independence and wealth. Jen, why is uh, the impact investing broadly, and especially in opportunity zones, important to you personally? Mm, great question. Um, because I believe in the value of every human being on this planet. And I believe that uh, systems are working and uh, there's been some design flaws. <laughs> and so my team at the Beck Center, uh, I, I sit within what we call the fair finance team. And, and, and so my larger team here at the Beck Center does a lot of investigation on these systems that perpetuate inequity. And there are a fair number of them that exist in these underserved areas uh, to begin with. And so uh, I, I, I once had an advisor that, that asked me what makes you mad, sad, or glad and kind of direct your energy there. And, um, you know, just, uh, not honoring the dignity and value of other beings with whom we share the planet is, there's nothing that makes me more angry than that. So if I can stand in my education, if I can stand in my background, if I can stand in my privilege and uh, identify really honestly some of these systems of inequity 
and use whatever power I have and the power at my disposal to disrupt it, that's um, a purposeful life for me. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Jen. Fran, uh, why is this important to you? Yes, thank you for asking um, about this personal motivation. So um, I started my career in philanthropy uh, using the tools of, of grants to make a difference and over time started wondering uh, how the endowment was invested and whether it was unconsciously invested across purposes uh, to the um, mission of the foundation. That really drove me to business school and, and uh, this investigation about how value is created in our society, looking not just at financial value, shareholder value, of course, but stakeholder value, social, economic, and environmental value, believing that there's a more fulsome uh, concept of, of, of value that's created in society. And since that time, um, since graduation, I've been working in this area and have a fundamental contention that grant capital and government aid is insufficient to address the pressing social, economic, and environmental issues of our time, whether it's climate change, whether it's the income inequality, uh, whether it's a kind of an uneven playing field or a broken system that Jen was talking about, we need to mobilize the trillions of dollars um, under management or investment uh, capital to be in alignment with our values. And um, that's really what, what drives me personally as a more fulsome and simultaneous creation of different types of value. Oh, that's great. Well, Jen, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Before you go, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about the Beck Center and how they can connect with you personally? Absolutely. So you can uh, find us at the Beck Center. We're at Georgetown University. So uh, Beck is spelled B-E-E-C-K. So it looks like Beak, but uh, it is the Beck Center. So we, uh, you can find us online there or my Twitter handle is at Jen Collins 24. Jen with one N, Collins 24. Great. And Fran, how about you? How can people learn more about the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance and connect with you? Sure. Uh, the Alliance's website is impinvalliance.org, and there we have a bunch of information about the kinds of work we do. Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at, at Fran Siegel, all one word. And I will also say for those listeners and viewers who want to learn more about the Opportunity Zones reporting framework, that the Alliance and Beck has partnered on, you can find more information uh, on the framework at ozframework.org. That's great. Well, thank you so much to both of you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and uh, really appreciate the work that you're doing on Opportunity Zones. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Devin. All righty, let's do some good. A Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devon Thorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty. 
improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.